And we are back with another edition of the Daily Dots. And I am joined by uh, what I refer to as the Brain Trust, uh, Chase Taylor, our head of research, and uh, continuing continuing on this path, this voyage, if you will, we're taking on. Um, you know, just watching what we think are really historic times, really historic. Uh, well, we don't think we. I think well, most of us can recognize the fact that we realize uh, that we're in extraordinarily unique times. Um, you know, we're kind of living through a uh, unprecedented economic experience or experiment here. And uh, if you're like us, one of the reasons we start doing this is just, hey, we want to document it. We want to walk through it step by step and watch every single dot, if you will, each day being one. And so <clears throat> I'm glad for you guys taking this journey with us. Uh, kind of give you a quick summation of the day. Obviously, not a lot of economic data out. Uh, markets. I guess, technically speaking, this is a red day, huh, Chase? First red Monday we've had in how long? Yeah, I, I can't remember. Oh, that's true. That's I didn't think about that. So from that perspective, I was just going to say in general, we're down 0.1%. It's basically a bloodbath. Yeah, I mean, it's head for the hills, right? Um, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's things are getting dicey out there. Yeah, it's a red Monday. I don't I don't even know what's next. The I, I So if memory serves me correctly... Uh, I believe that is the first Monday out of the last 19 Mondays that stocks. Doesn't that sound right? I, I'd have to go back and look. It, it's been a lot. Yeah, I believe we were 18 for 18 until today. So, um, you know, hide the kids, right? Sell everything. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, what did we see on, uh, let's see, the one thing I wasn't, bond yields were up. Uh, 10 year was up to 4.63. Not a big move on the day, right, Chase? Yeah, I'm showing honestly like bond yields basically flat yeah. along with equities. Yeah. But the short end was down a little bit. Two years, two years actually were down about three basis points, but the rest was essentially flat. Um I you know, I don't want to be too negative here because I don't think there's a lot to be negative about as far as the market is concerned. Um, you know, outside of valuation stuff we talk about every single day day. It does increasingly feel to me, though, like the data is turning, um, and you you can speak to that a little bit more. But um, I, let's put it this way: I'm personally not seeing anything that, if if taken outside of the realm of conjecture or anecdotal, um, I don't think I just I just don't see a lot of positive news. Um, why you i mean you can you can elaborate on that a little bit chase but it does it feels to me like the worm has turned uh what what, what do you make of that yeah i think um i think there's some truth to that you know especially in the labor market like that i think the mar the markets are taking a lot of solace in the fact that we're, we're not seeing a bunch of people lose their jobs but what we are seeing is is not a lot of people getting hired all of a sudden um, and part of that's just the numbers. I mean, we've hired a lot of people, so less need to get hired. But I think more of it is, you know, the fact that demand is slowing down enough where people are are slowing down their hiring. Uh, if you look at the Jolt hiring index, it's actually at like 2017 levels. So you're you're well below even the 2019 area for hiring. Um, it's just that no one's getting fired yet, and we see this in jobless claims where initial claims are still very low, but yet continuing claims are starting to re really move higher. So Yes, no one's getting fired yet, but also no one's getting hired right now. And that's and people that are losing their jobs are really struggling to find them. Um, and if you just go just the pure number of people 
who are unemployed, just full, full stop. The number of people it's 7.7% off its bottom. Um, and that number is one where if you hit 10%, historically, it's another one of those, you know, undefeated, uh, metrics, uh, you hit 10% and you're in or about to be in a recession. Um, so we only got 2.3% to go on that. Um, yeah. I just, and again, I, I, I want to put this in perspective because I just, you know, I, I thought that that was one of the nice things about that. I, that I quite honestly wasn't expecting. Um, I mean, I mean a little bit, I mean, we all know cup, you and I both know cuppy and, and know his views, but, um, that was the one thing I appreciated about that, or I appreciate a lot of things about it. But but one of the things that stood out to me was that neither of us, this whole, you know, bearish, the world's about ready to end. We're about to go into morass. You know, it's all oh, here. Uh, to me, that is just so overbaked. Now, in this crazy world, in this crazy environment with, you know, are there a lot of existential threats? Sure. Are, are there a lot of... Are there? Are, is there a now? You're not going to see this priced into asset markets at present, but but is there a larger than normal threat of some type of exogenous event that could be? Sure, but the, the, you know the, those are hard to price, and I, I feel like there's always something that horrific that could happen, right? That that could cause a huge economic malaise. Um, our argument, and I don't want to speak for you, but our argument has always been: look. You can think there's going to be a recession and not think that 20% of the population is going to end up in a breadline, right? Like, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I just. Uh, yeah, I mean, so yeah, perfect example of this. And and going back to the company conversation, like, his take is kind of like, sure, we might have something that is recession, gets called it, maybe it doesn't, but like a big slowdown, sure. I think his, his kind of take is, but who cares? Because, you know, the deficit's so big that you're not going to do much damage to, to growth. And it, I, I think that's a fair take. I don't think that's a crazy take. I obviously we have a little bit of a divergent view of how you know how deep that can go and how long that can last. And, um, but that that's like an area where the, the beauty of Cuppy is he keeps things so simple, and I, that's one thing I very much appreciate about him because it might be as simple as yeah, that's great. Um, economy is going to slow down because of rates, but hey, if you're going to run a five to ten percent deficit, like it isn't going to get that bad. Um, and to more to that point, like if you look and if, if asset prices don't go down significantly, it is, we especially won't have a big problem because you go look at net worth, uh, metrics, whether it's net worth as a percentage of disposable income, whatever you want to look at. I mean, they're sky high through, through the roof as an, on the aggregate Americans balance sheets are, are doing great because their asset side is so good. And they delevered so hard after the GFC. Yes. Obviously people have levered up a, back up a good bit in the last couple of years, but I mean, still net worth is, is really high. So if households have a good net worth and the government's running a giant deficit, like to your point, you're not going to get some cataclysm unless you also see asset prices get smashed, which I think clearly the fed's not gonna let that happen. Yeah. I, I, I certainly, yeah, not, not smashed the way I think some of these, uh, you know, perma bears are advocating for right i think the, yeah, the deflationary supernova people yeah right 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 um where you're just kind of like you kind of look at them and go um you know kind of reminds me of that scene in aliens you know where i mean i don't you know i don't know if you're keeping up on current events man but we just got our kicked right uh <laughs> <laughs> meaning i don't think you're keeping up on current events what about the last three years or let alone the last 15 
that makes you think central banks are just going to sit back and watch everything burn. Right. Like I'm not talking about, right. The, the, that to me is a, that, that, that is a, that is a line of a financial justice warrior, right? No, no, it's, exactly. it's coming down the pike this time. And you're like, no, it's not. They're going to keep extending and pretending as long as they possibly can. Now, the one thing that I will say though, that is concerning and you, and you've, you've shined a light on this and a lot of your work and a lot of your research is that I do think that we sort of need to bifurcate, especially that, that, um, that net worth, uh, number, um, and you know, balance sheet number of those over the age of 40 and those below the age of 40, yeah. right? Because those below the age of 40, it does not look that way at all. Um, and they don't speaking have assets. Of, yeah. Speaking of this, is something I, I just kind of been thinking about more and more lately, the more I look at how bifurcated that stuff is and how bad it is, the, the political ramifications for this, I have no idea what, what they're going to be. I just know that they are going to be like that whenever you hold you know, half the population that's really young down uh, financially. And while the older population is just, you know, killing it at sort of at their expense, like, I don't know what it's going to look like. I just know that that's going to have some political consequences for us all at some point. Yeah. And usually those things don't have good political consequences for anybody, right? Because yeah, a lot of angry young people typically isn't good. No, no, because they don't always make the best decisions, right? Right. Right. Think of a teenager, for instance, Um, you know, getting, yeah, getting the ticked off youth uh, rampaging is not usually a very good economic outcome for anybody. And then here's the other side of it. you know, I, I think that these are I think that these are very complex discussions, and like you and I talk about all the time, I feel like people in the world of and, and in life in general they want to they want to what's the one thing right? And there's never a one thing right? It's a confluence of events. Um, but I do think at some point, and maybe maybe I'm speaking wishfully here, uh, but I do think at some point the actions of central banks over the last 15 years is going to come into focus. Because, I mean, that's effectively what's happened, right? The, the reason that, that, you know, the vast majority of people at the end age, age of 40 have been completely priced out of the housing market. You know, you can sit there, well, it's all on the government. Well, what about the 15 years leading up? You know, we had artificially low rates and all that other kind of stuff. And the Fed's stacking up mortgage-backed securities on their balance sheets. And the only problem is the history would also tell you is that usually the right person doesn't get blamed, right? Uh so maybe the Fed will get another pass, but I don't know. The, the other one I just keep going back to, and I know we've talked about it on the dots a bunch, and I don't want to have to. I don't want to have to keep revisiting it. I I just can't help but it, and it just amazes me because you're not hearing it on any news outlets or anything. Just it, it just amazes me about the feckless nature of the way that the Treasury has been run, and the fact that Yellen didn't. <laughs> I, 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 at some point, and again, I, maybe this is just me looking for a sense of justice that doesn't exist, but at some point, I, it would be nice to see the the sights aimed, and I guess the elected officials deserve a lot of it too, but to see the sights levied at, in my opinion, who deserves most of that angst, which would be the Fed and the Treasury. But yeah, I'm also not going to hold my breath because I think one of the things you look at. Yeah, well, I will say, you know, we talked about it a little bit, I think, last week. Um, we had a, a brutal 30-year Treasury auction. Um, and now if you keep getting some bond auctions that bad, or especially if you get some worse or even a failed auction where you literally, you know, your bid covers under one, um, that's the kind of thing where it doesn't matter like what they think, what they want to do. Like 
that, that's one where the market puts it back on them. And what, what I was just talking about is, you know, household balance sheets are, are really, really good compared to where they were 15 years ago. But a lot of that's just because the government's balance sheet's so bad because they're basically, um, you know, work inverse of each other. If the government runs a giant deficit, that becomes, you know, a surplus for, for households. Well, if all of a sudden they decide they have to cut back and clean up their own balance sheet because, you know, the bond market takes the keys away. Well, the, where, where does that come from? It comes from the private sector balance sheet. So it'd be the opposite um, thing where all of a sudden households are struggling and sure the government's, you know, government's books start looking a lot better, but you know, that, that would be a very ugly scenario where some permanent bears would get a lot of stuff right because um, it would be a very ugly situation for growth, for asset prices. Granted, you know, what, what's more likely to happen is the Fed just steps in and goes, oh, cool, bad auction, we'll buy them all. I, and they um, have to. They, they do. Now, but, but I will say there can be some sort of mix of the Fed doing a lot of heavy lifting, buying treasuries while you get um, some sort of sanity coming out of D.C. when it comes to the, the fiscal side. But the, the biggest problem there is that the voters don't care. You can look at the polling information. No one cares about the deficit anymore, like full stop. Um, but there is a small, you know, gaggle in, in Congress now that does care, or at least pretends really, really well to care. Um, probably not enough to do anything at the moment, but it's something worth watching. I think, I think it is full blown consensus that we just keep on running huge deficits into the future. Um, and anytime everyone agrees on something, I don't know, it just, it makes me at least start watching really hard for it to go the other way. No, it does to me too, but. I think the one thing that we've got to keep in mind is that this is not like a market, right? Meaning that there are elected, there are several reasons why, regardless of how vociferously somebody might speak out against the deficit or debt or anything like that, when it comes right down to it, if they're just not trying to get some some talking points out there and score some political, you know, shots, uh, I, I just – I don't see a lot of people with, uh, I don't know, chutzpah or, or you know, real commitment or real guts to pull some of those triggers and really cut spending, right? Because the next question is, okay, we all agree it's we're spending too much. Where do we cut it? And that that to me is where, you know, tip – well, I mean, look, let's just look at history. Usually when countries end up in this place – you know, and I'm not, I'm not saying over the short run, I don't think it's to be over the short run, but they don't typically come back, right? Like now that, that can take a long time, right? I'm not saying that, but usually when you go down this route, I mean, are there any modern, are there any modern examples of where they did embrace austerity that they did make the tough choices and did come back from the brink? I mean, pretty much every example we've got out there, they just kept racking up the credit card, right? Yeah, well, I would say, I mean, even in the U.S. post World War II, I mean, we went nuts with debt. Really, I mean, you could do the same same thing: go Civil War, you go War II, where I mean, you have a lot of political turmoil, a lot of power grab from the federal government, and enormous deficits financed by the Treasury or by by the Fed or whatever central bank was in power. The whole nine yards, kind of a similar situation we have now. We just don't have happen to be doing it without a war. Um, and and then when the war is over, they obviously there's like a there's almost always like a, some sort of deval associated, and then after that deval, you you know you get tax you get the tax take up, you cut spending back, 
um, and you kind of have to come out of it, you know, on the other side. But on, on on the flip side, you have the you know Roman Empire, you have the British Empire that kind of got too too far over their skis and and never came back, you know, financially. And sure, like they're still doing well or decent, but like just never the same like massive power that they were um, before. So it's kind of mixed to me. Um, you can do it for sure, but I think it'll be the same way we did with War Two, where you have to burn off. The, the high debt levels through some sort of deval, whether that's just a bunch of inflation or, or what have you. Um, well, I was just thinking, but, so just, just as a thought exercise though, I was just thinking about this over the weekend because both you and I are old enough to remember this. <clears throat> and it's just staggering to think of this. Remember when Clinton along with the Republican Congress signed the new, the new contract with America, uh, Clinton and Gingrich had some government shutdowns go back forth for, they balanced the budget, right? It was in 98 or 99. Um, can you imagine, can you imagine the economic pain that would be required to balance the budget right now? Like how do you cut $2 trillion worth of spending? Right. And then when you look yeah. at asset prices where they are, tax receipts, where they are, it, it's not like you can accelerate growth and dig out of this hole, right? The, the numbers have tipped over the other way. I mean, you just, you can't, you can't catch up. Well, unless you get a, a genuine productivity boom, which I, I think I think relatively high productivity is possible, but but to your point, I mean the the government, I mean the deficit is so it's not just so big, but it's so structural, and demographics are such a headwind. So I mean, what you would have to do, uh, obviously, a number one thing you got to do is um, dramatically lower the cost of healthcare as a percentage of GDP in the country. There's a few ways to do that, but they got to pick one and they would have to do it. And there's entitlement spending in general. Like you would have to have pretty significant reforms to which would have to be like realized haircuts to uh, social security. And then again, just Medicare, Medicaid, just getting the price of, of how much we pay to keep ourselves from, from dying. Um, it has to be just slashed. You, you look at what we spend as a percent of GDP to like pick a country, any country, um, and it's just completely nuts. So if you did both of those things, you increased, um, if you increased immigration, um, and obviously you could do that in a smart way from, you know, people that have real skills from not scary places, um, things like that. But if you increased the people, amount of people coming in and the amount of young people, you know, social security payers essentially, um, and then you reformed those things, uh, yeah, you could, you could do all, all of this. It's just, those things are all shockingly difficult to pull off at the moment politically. What do you, Not just because we're all, you know, so tribal and against each other and, and two to four weird camps. Um, not only, not only is, is all that true, but like it, we haven't had like one party rule with significant majorities in a very long time. And that to me, that's what this requires is, and it doesn't matter which party it is. It just matters that one faction gains so much power that no one can stop them. Um, then you could have someone be like, well, we have, a, we have, you know, we can do what we want now. So let's actually go do this, which going back to Gingrich, I mean, they talked a great game. Like they, that's what they would do when, whenever they took over, um, in a major way in the Republican party, it was like, well, Hey, we have our chance. Let's go actually reform entitlements and everything. And then they they froze up and they didn't do it. So 
so even if you get all those conditions, you probably still won't. Well, the the other thing that makes that really difficult too. This is you'll love this because you. I know you love me when I throw questions at you that are literally impossible to know or impossible to answer. So you're welcome in advance. Uh, but I, I I wonder if that doesn't have something to do with the Biden administration's border policy. You know what I mean? Like. Do you think this has something to do with the fact that they've just basically left the back gate open? I, 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 I wish I could, I wish I could say yes, but no. I don't like, think it is because, either. Yeah, because, um, I, I, you know, I think I think you can make that argument if if it's through legit ports of entry and and with uh, visas and everything. But and, and don't get me wrong, they, they they've done that to you, and they they've done a decent job. I think um, that was that's like a g- genuine knock on on Trump to me is is reducing the flow from from smart places to do it like like getting getting in a bunch of like engineers from the emerging world uh is that's the kind of thing we should absolutely be doing but you know letting in people from sketchy places come across the southern border like un, unchecked like may, maybe not well and they I, I feel like you just highlighted one of the issues that we deal with politically right now which is we get um we get extreme solutions on both sides of it right like from, you know, it's, you know, and I don't feel like most people are saying this, but you hear, we got to stop immigration. You're looking at them going, what are you talking about? Like <laughs> we are immigration, right? That's how we all got here for crying out loud. And then on the flip side, the other argument is, yeah, the, having border walls are racist. You're sitting there going, uh, <laughs> that's like saying, you know, it's like racist to have a front door on your house. Um, you know, which I think, which I think, kind of illustrates one of the biggest issues we got is this political gridlock where you've got two views that I don't think really are make. Like you said, I mean, anybody look. I think the proper position for us to take is that we're pro responsible immigration, right? Um, you know, for all right. kinds of for all kinds of reasons. You know, for instance, the more talented, goal oriented people that want to succeed and thrive that we bring in here, better our economy does. But it's also the better impression that we're going to have around the world, right? That's that's what makes us America is, you know, bring us your downtrodden and also allowing people a level a level playing field to come here and bring their talents and their drive and their work ethic and and actually be compensated appropriately for it. Yeah, I mean, it's not like we're growing enough engineers or you know smart tech people or like we we're not you know we have a lot of kids going to school for. Um, you know, stuff that frankly doesn't matter. So basket weaving. Yeah. So you go, you know, some, there's a lot of brilliant kids in, in Asia and whether that's Southwest Asia or, you know, you you pick a place, I mean, all, all over the world really that are, are brilliant and would, would do anything to have the opportunity. It's like, I, I I hate to like always paint with a broad brush, but I'm just going to do it anyways. Every single Nigerian immigrant I've met in America was super smart, had, had an incredible work ethic. Yeah. Um, and obviously there's a tons of selection bias in the people that actually make it to America from Nigeria. Like I get that, but point being, I, I just feel like I bet there's a few more people from Nigeria we could let in that would make a country a better place. Well, they, look, we've got experience with that. We've got our junior analyst over there in London and we're looking in ways, you know, he wants to move over here. I'd love to have him here on site and getting him a green card is a feat. I mean, it, it is a pain and, uh, you know, for longer than what is it? 90 days or something like that. Um, and you're sitting there going, okay, this guy has been making money off of an American company now for two and a half, three years. Um, 
great track record. And you're sitting there going, it shouldn't be this hard, right? This is a guy with a college degree that makes money, right? Not living off the system, all of these kinds of things. Why would you not want this person here? It just doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't make any yeah, sense. Exactly. And, you know, he's he's a young guy. He's going to probably come over here. He's probably going to marry a girl. Little household formation action, right? Buying a house. Pay some, pay some taxes. Yeah. And it just – I. but, you know, like everything else, I feel like politically speaking right now, if if you want – if if and, and I do this quite frequently, so take it from me. Uh, if, if you want whatever you say – to go off without any sort of bang, right? Go out there and be an advocate of sensible policy, right? <laughs> like if, if, if you don't want a lot of congratulatory response, if you don't want a lot of likes on social media, right? Go propose something that's sensible, right? Down the middle, um, you know, and again, don't take that to, I mean, I know there are other people out there advocating sensible things and I'm certainly don't have the market cornered on it, but just saying that, you know, you and I have laughed about this a lot, just, it's, you know, I, I'm sitting there public speaking basically every single week and it, it, all the time I will simultaneously be accused of being a left-wing radical or a fascist. Um, <laughs> so speaking of that, I'm, I'm going to make one plug and then we should probably chill cause it's 25 minutes in. But, um, if you haven't read Tim Urban's book, what's our problem oh, self-help yes. book for societies, I, I urge everyone to do it. It's annoying because you can't buy a physical book of it, which I've not stopped being angry about since day one, but um, you can get it, you know, Kindle and any Google, whatever their thing's called, any of that. And it, it is unbelievably good. And it really captures like, kind of like what we're talking about with the the completely nuts political zeitgeist and the, and the uh, tribalism and everything. I could not encourage people more to read that book. Yeah, I well, you sent it to me and I just started reading it, reading it. So, so far, so good. But I, I can't give the... I can't give the recommendation, but I, I will say that you've got a pretty good track record as far as book uh, book recommendations go. So go out there and get it, folks. All right. Well, hey, anything else that we need to tell the folks? Do we have any data coming up this week? What are we looking forward to? Yeah, uh, yeah. So it's tomorrow we'll have um, inflation. So we'll have CPI tomorrow, and then later in the week, I think Wednesday, it is a retail sales, which will be a big one. So two two big days in a row, and then I don't think there's too much after that the rest of the week. All right. All right. And then as far as market goes, just any outlook, um, I know your thoughts are that I, well, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you know, uh, you kind of expect things to continue to maybe melt up here into the end of the year. I, yeah, yeah that's pretty much what I, the way I see it likely yeah. playing out. Yeah. That wouldn't surprise me at all. I, I just, I, it, this feels to me like a tired run and I, that's completely anecdotal. So dude, please don't go trade that anybody. You like, it, just, it, it, does, it does feel to me like it's getting tired, but we shall see. Anyway, that's what makes the market. So uh, we will be back tomorrow, do another edition of The Dots, and we'll keep updating you as far as big news about the economy and the markets and all that kind of stuff goes. So do not forget to tune in. Until then, we'll see you tomorrow. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. 
The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.